This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people involved in the adoption process, with each episode hosted by recognisable voices sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. Welcome to episode 21 of the You Can Adopt podcast. My name is Jimmy Akambola and I'm an actor and I recently made a documentary all about my experiences growing up in foster care and in particular being fostered long term by a white family. I'm joined today by Sarah Livingstone, an incredible foster carer. Sarah is also the chair of the Camden Association of Foster Carers and is doing incredible things to make sure black and mixed heritage children have access to all the right hair and skin products they might need and that their foster and adoptive parents might not know about. I'm really excited to have this conversation today and to explore themes of identity and culture for black children in care and why we need more people from the black community to come forward to adopt. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining us and for chatting with me. You're more than welcome. So Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us, I suppose, a little bit more about why and how you became a foster carer? Yeah. So I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. And I felt that when my children were getting a little bit older, I felt that I wanted to do some more. I felt like I still had more left in me, more mummy, I suppose, for a better word. And I wanted to do more. I actually come from a fostering family as well. So my oh, aunties and other people in my family are either assessors for foster carers. So it was a very natural move for me after my kids had sort of grown up to a certain age. And I think it had always been on the horizon for me because I'd always wanted to be a foster carer. So my kids knew that that was what I was going to do when they'd actually got to an age where they didn't need me so much, mm -hmm. that I was going to give the time and effort that I have to a foster child that does need me and need me to be that one person that's going to be there for them. So in terms of like growing up then, so fostering and adoption was always in your life, you know, it was yeah. always going to be a natural thing yeah. for you to go on and do that. I could see my aunties obviously older than me, so I could see the amazing work that they were doing and the difference that they were making to children in their care. And I was just like, this is amazing. You know, this, this, this changes lives just on the basic level of just being there for somebody else and making sure that you are that, I suppose, that person that that child can turn to. And I just felt it, it was it was literally a movement that I was like, I need to do this, this is so for me. I love this, obviously myself, I was fostered from the age of two and I wasn't adopted because my foster mum, Gloria, she always knew my mum Eunice was around mm. and that I had a mother, so she didn't want to take me away from her. So that. I think unconditional love is the word that I've always used. But I grew up with foster brothers and foster sisters. So w when you started fostering, did your kids engage with the foster kids or had they already left? No, so my kids are grown, but they engage all the time. I don't believe that you can foster on your own. I think that if you come from a background of a family, they have to be engaged in everything that you're doing because there's times when I need a break or I just need, I haven't got the energy to go and kick a football anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, so my son will say, oh, I'll take them over the park. Or my daughter will say, I'll take him to the cinema and to see the new Marvel film or whatever it is. I think it's something that you need to rely on your backup. So yeah, my family are very much involved and I don't think that I could do the job as well as I do if it wasn't for them. 
I love it. I love it. Because it does, you know, the saying, it does take a village. You know, yeah, what I mean? it, it, 100%. And that is the immediate family, but also it's your community. And for me, growing up in East London, I was born and bred in Plasto. And my white foster family, you know, they were amazing. And at the same time, we also had an array of different people around us in terms of different cultures and people. Where I have my Filipino friends, Indian, <laughs> Pakistani, Irish, Jamaican, Bayesian, mm. Nigerian, Ghanaian. And I say that because there was so much work that my foster family was doing with me, but also my friends group, that, that bit of that community, that also helped shape me and helped me learn about my culture. And I think what I loved is that my foster mom always made sure I knew who I was. It's interesting when you grow up with a family that doesn't look like you, because some people go, oh, that might be making them feel like they're different. It's like, yeah, but there's, there's beauty and power in that. And embracing it. And it's not a negative, you're mm. different, it's a positive. Mm. Look how beautiful you are. Look how amazing these people are, and they are like you as yeah, well, in yeah. terms of how powerful representation is. I don't regret anything. A lot of people would ask me, did you miss growing up with the rest of your family? And I'm like, I got to the point in my life where I was like, I don't want to deny my foster family. I miss no. my biological family, yeah. but I realize you can have both. Yeah, and successfully so, as well. Yeah. It's just more people that love you, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. To me, it's like my foster child, he's eight, and he has, you know, he has his mom, he's got me, he's got people around him, but it just means that comfort around him mm -hmm. is positioned in a place in a way that he will always feel loved. Even yeah. though he might not be with his mum at this particular time, he knows his mum is a big part of his life. Yeah. To me, he's beautiful. I love him to bits, you know. Mm -hmm. But that is because of who he is as well. And you can't yeah. deny that as a foster carer. I think you have to say, well, okay, fair enough. You know, this child is in care, but you have to look at the family that are around him as well. Yeah. To yeah. see the beauty in him. Mm -hmm. It's all about us encompassing him to what he is yeah. and what he's going to be. I love that. I love that. No, it's so important. It's so important. What would you say has been some of the hardest things you've had to overcome in terms of being a foster carer? Mm, the children are the easy bit. The majority of children that come into care have trauma. So, you know, once you have an idea or an understanding of what they've been through, you can... I suppose, for a better word, sort of navigate them to the right help that they need mm -hmm. and obviously be there and guide them and, and for a better word hold their hand while, yeah. while they're going through that sometimes I think it can be quite difficult dealing with social services dealing with the department you're the, to me as the foster care I'm the boots on the ground I'm the one who knows this child better than anyone else I've had moments in my fostering career I've been doing it for 10 years where I've had to really take stock and think am I doing the, the right thing here am I you know, because you lose, I think sometimes you can lose your journey sometimes and what you're doing. You have to take stock and I'm very reflective about when each child moves on. I've moved many children on to adoption. How many? I think it's around about six or seven. I know my part of their journey. I know that my part of their journey is about that bit in between. Mm-hmm and giving them this, the child the support and love that they need so that then they can then go on and make connections with their forever family. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I love it, Jimmy, because I'm a part of something that, you know, you, you don't normally get to see making these families, making these children a part of someone's family, making their family a whole. It's the most amazing thing in yeah. the world. And a lot of people say to me, oh, 
you're amazing, you're a foster care. And I'm like, you have no idea what I get from this. Mm -hmm. I get so much from the process of being a foster carer, seeing a child come into my home and quite shy and withdrawn. And then literally it's like opening up a Christmas present because you just don't know what you're getting. And it's like, I'm wrapping it and figuring out what makes them, you know, tick and it works. It's an amazing job. So beautiful. I'm listening to you and I'm just thinking about like my journey of being a two year old, my mom battling schizophrenia. So not being able to raise me on my own. This is my biological mom, which is why I was in a children's home. My biological father not being prepared to take me in and then being in a children's home and then going into my foster family home and the way that I was welcomed and loved. I was never the foster kid. Mm -hmm. I was the brother. Yeah, I was the son. And during those early years, that's so important to have mm. that, you know. And like you said, like, like the, the unwrapping of a present, you know. There's no guarantee how someone's going to be, but when you have a certain quality of love and care around that young child, then you really are giving the best platform for them to yeah. be whatever they want to be. And as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about my documentary, Handle With Care, and why I went to tell the story. And, and for me, as a young kid, when you're talking to social workers and you're seeing stuff in the news, I was very aware that I wasn't seeing much positive Activity around fostering in terms of the stories in the in the newspapers on TV, you know what I mean, in the documentary, it was, it was very negative. And so during the pandemic, when I lost like half of my family, you know, for different reasons, I feel like it was half of me had gone. Mm -hmm. And I went to honor and do a love letter to both families. And I but then when I started thinking about the documentary, I was like, this is really important for me. I needed to go back to being a kid and going, what kind of documentary would I need to see? to inspire me in my life because to show that my beginning doesn't have to dictate my future. No. And I feel like we don't get that enough. And so when I pitched it to ITV, I was like, this is an insp inspirational story. I'm not going to hide about the, the highs and the lows and the, you know, the traumatic things mm -hmm. that some people have to overcome. But I think, I think it's really important to address the balance. The stats are the stats, but they don't represent the whole story in terms of the care stories for people. But I think even what you've done so far, Jimmy, I showed my little one your documentary. And he was like, wow, really? Like, really? This man is on the telly and he's come from the same place that I've come from. And I'm like, yeah, because he can be whatever he wants to be. And I think this conversation has to happen. The conversations have to keep happening. We need to start opening up what foster care is and also how we deal with identity and culture within that process, systemically within that process. We need people to start thinking differently because putting a roof over a child's head and putting food in their belly is doing the things that you fundamentally need to do. But that we need to go a step further and start doing the things that will make that child whole and have a better outcome if identity and culture is embraced and seen because I just don't think that people are seeing it. I think they think that they're doing the best. And you know, the thing on my side of it is I'm a foster care and it's hard work, it is hard work. And now we're asking them to take on another piece of hard work, which means that if they take a child from another cultural background, we want them to do another piece of work around that child. But I think what if you're in fostering, you're doing it because you care about children. We need to make that next step where we start looking about what makes that child whole. And I think until we do that, 
you know, we're going to have children that are going to leave the care system that are going to have serious problems around identity. I know personally that when I grew up, I grew up in a home, white mum, I'm mixed race, I grew up in a white home and nobody looked like me. And when I reached my teens, I struggled, I struggled, Jimmy, because I just didn't know who I was. I didn't know, I'm fair, can I call myself black? Am I allowed to call myself black? Am I black? Mm -hmm. Really struggled. And I just think I was brought up in the home. Mm -hmm. And if you take that another step further where you're dealing with a child who has already lost so much, mm -hmm. if we don't address identity and culture, we're doing them a disservice. Oh, yep, 100%. And we, I really want to get onto that the identity culture part. But before that, I sort of want to ask you about if you could tell us a bit more about how you help children and the adopters when they move from your home to their forever home, because that's a real unique moment. Because in some ways, I didn't have it. And how did you feel at the time? You know, is it really difficult to say goodbye? Could you tell the listeners a bit more about that process where they go from you to their forever home? So I think the main thing as a foster care is I know my journey. I know the reasons why I do, I do what I do. And knowing that, I know that I'm not their forever story. It's literally like you get on the bus with a child, but you're not doing the full journey. Mm. And I think in that respect... When an adoptive family comes into my home to start being introduced to the child, I try and make myself as welcome as possible and take a step back as well because it's that process of handing over the care to somebody else. It's very difficult. I will go in another room and maybe shed a tear, Jimmy, but I will try not to let that adoptive family see that because it's their most amazing moment and I don't want my grief to overshadow what they're going through. Yeah. So I, I do my silent sort of like tearful moments and everything yeah. like that on my own. And what I try to do, you know, I don't want any of my children that go over to adopted, I don't want their situation with their adoptive family to fail. Mm -hmm. So I try and give the adoptive family as much information as I possibly can. You know, he likes this, he likes that, he likes his mm -hmm. belly tickled when he's falling asleep, all these little tidbits that hopefully will make them connect better. And I try and make myself available but not intrusive mm -hmm. so i'll say look i'm at the end of the phone anything you need you just call me even if it's just like he's not i can't get him to take his medicine or he's not sleeping or he's got a bit of nappy rash or whatever anything you need you just call me and i sort of make sure that i stay on the outskirts without intruding and i allow them to sort of bring me into the circle rather than me pushing my way in because i've handed the reins over to them yeah yeah and i want them to enjoy without me sort of like hovering, I suppose, over the top. I want them to enjoy the journey that they're the journey, doing yeah. with their new child. I've heard you've got this title, you're called the trusted auntie yeah. or something like that. Because <laughs> I think you're right, it is a delicate balance, right? Because also if they're too attached to you, mm -hmm. then it's going to be hard for that young person to embrace this new family that have adopted them as well. I really hear you when you're saying you're available, but you're letting them leave. Yeah. I want to also ask you, before the adoptive family come to you, do you have a say? No. No? I normally meet them. So you'll get a moment where you have a meeting with them. I always find their meetings really difficult because mm. from the time that you get that phone call and they say, oh, we've identified a family and your belly literally hits the floor because yeah. you know that this child is going to be moving on in the next couple of months and you go, okay. All right, yeah. I'm ready for this. Because I always find transition a really difficult time. It's one of probably the most difficult times in fostering 
because you've got to keep your emotions intact. As I said before previously, I don't want to overshadow mm -hmm. whatever's going on with the adoptive family. So I always find that quite a difficult time. So when the child actually moves on, I'm grieving, but I'm tired at that point yeah. where I'm like, okay, now I can take a deep breath and actually grieve because I think you're holding on so much. I think one thing of my documentary is that the importance of we do need more families and carers, but just, just how these people, are, how they're being chosen, doing the work to make sure that children are going on to a safe environment. I do think behind the scenes that social services are doing the work because the people, I've got some adopters that I would love to clone, Jimmy, because they are just the most amazing people. And they've already got the child in their care, but they're going that one step further. I hear you. And why do you think it's important for black children to be adopted by people with a similar cultural heritage to them? I think there's two sides to that story. I think it is important, but I don't think that a child should stay in the care system because they can't match the child with the family. I think love comes in any which way you can get it. Yeah. I honestly do. I think, well, any which way you can get it. If you have a love for a child, you know, it crosses borders, doesn't it? If you have a pool of doctors that are culturally matched to the child, that's all well and good. Yeah. But if you don't, then you have to look at what you've got. And this is why we want more adopters to come forward from mm -hmm. the black community, yeah. because we don't have a pool of adopters. We have literally children sitting there waiting to be adopted, and we don't have the resources for them children to be culturally matched. So we need people to come forward. I think as long as you believe that you've got a space in your heart for that child, then ideally we'd love all our children to be culturally matched. But we just don't have enough black adopters coming forward. This is the problem. We need to be able to get into that community, get into the churches and the schools and say, look, why don't you think about this? Because I do think black families or black people have an aversion to social services because of obviously historical yeah. injustice. I, I agree and I think there needs to be a lot of work done to reframe that in the black community there is that thing of like auntie can take someone in yeah. and stuff like yeah, that yeah. but it, there's almost a taboo about the adoption the fostering yeah. side of things but also i've heard that some friends whether they're single or they've been a couple for some reason they feel like the system is harder for them and, yeah. and i found that very interesting i didn't have enough time and space to explore that in my documentary but i think that's something to be looked at but back to what you said Whenever I have spoken like on TV, on radio about my experience, I, I get that question about the alignment culturally, but I always say the same as you, that if you ask most of these young kids, would they rather just stay in the home until they have a cultural match or would they like to have a mm. loving, caring family? Your story, Jimmy, if you were waiting for a cultural match to come forward, what, what would your outcome have been? Yeah, I hear you. And yet... I think that brings us along to, I do think education, culture education is so important. And I think it was in a different place in my time. And now I feel like there's no excuse. The wealth of information out there, the way you can get it. Well, look, first I have to say, it's so nice to hear about your journey, how you, you became a foster carer and amazing things you were doing with children. But I want to hear about this amazing thing that you've created. Oh. Replenish boxes. Yeah. Please tell us more about Replenished Boxes and why you set it up and what they are for. 
You're going to love this, people. You're going to love it. <laughs> okay, so I think in the introduction you mentioned that I'm chair of Camden Association for Foster Carers, and in my role, mm -hmm. I get to speak to foster carers that feel vulnerable and unsupported sometimes. And one of the things that kept coming constantly was foster carers that weren't culturally matched to their black children were feeling that they couldn't meet the needs of their child when it came to their skin and hair. And they were sort of saying to me, I don't know what to do. I don't have people in my community that I can ask about skin and hair. And they were coming to me and asking, I'm giving them whatever tidbits that I have. But then I was sort of like, there's something that can be done here. I feel we can support the foster carers to stop them feeling so vulnerable about taking children on from a different cultural background. Because what I was hearing is I had some foster carers that were saying, I don't know if I could take a black child. And I'm like, what? You know, like that put fear in me that you're going to question whether or not you can take a child because you don't know whether you can meet their needs in things like skin and hair. So I went away with that and sort of thought about it. And I went to my fostering manager at the time, James Carbo, and said to him, you know, we need to hold a forum for our foster carers to be able to talk and to see how they're feeling. Let's find out what's going on because there's a big movement in the world right now. And we need to look at how we sort of like, I suppose, tap into that, how our foster carers are feeling. So we held like a sort of consortium of foster carers and we sat down, we spoke. And a lot of the stuff that was coming through on that was about the fundamental first things that we need to get right is the skin and hair and then start thinking about the bigger picture. And so then I went away and I thought and I sat and thought, you know what? I know what I had with my children. I used to have a box in the bathroom, like a wooden box in the bathroom that had combs, gels, you know, oils, <laughs> moisturisers just sitting there. And I was yeah. like, a box, a box. And I literally, my head started turning. And I went back to the fostering manager, James, and said, James, what do you think of this? And he was like, it's amazing. This is fantastic. So I went, all right, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do a prototype. So I'd done two prototypes, came back and said to him, look, take it into the office. Let the social workers look at it, feel it. Mm -hmm get it upstairs and let's get on the back of this. And we had an amazing head of service at the time, Martin Pratt, and white guy, but his wife is black and he's got mixed race children. So mm -hmm. he was like, want it, want it, want it. You know, I want these boxes, what are we doing? And then we sort of like said, all right, okay, we've got the boxes together. They, Camden, bought into the boxes and said, right, we need to do this. We held two workshops with black looked after children and they came up with the design of the oh. box. Fantastic. When you check out the box, people, we'll, we'll let you know where you can look it up. The, the design has the design is amazing, but just hearing that the children created it, yeah. it's just that's just beautiful. And I'm going to open yeah, it up. Yeah, please do. Gonna... The name replenish means that it is replenishable. So it means that the, the foster carer or the child can let their social worker know that they're running out of products and it will be bought back for them. This is the buy-in that we wanted from local authority. Um, we've, we also are going to add stuff to it like sunscreen because a lot of people think black people don't need sunscreen so yep. we're trying to educate as well <laughs> yeah of course and that and swimming caps as well because mm -hmm. for years we've been told afro hair can't go in the swimming pool so yeah. it's about educating in that respect as well so the box is in your hands you can feel it you can touch it and you can mm -hmm. look at it but it's that tangible thing that brings on conversation yeah what i found is that when we're talking about the box we're saying look this is in the box this is what's what it does but then we start talking about the bigger question about identity and culture yeah. 
No, I'm looking at this box, people, and it's great, you know, because you've got natural hair, detangler, sheer butter, you've got leave-in conditioner, bouncy curls, pudding, you know, detangling shampoo, afro combs. Tangle teas in do, there. Do, do, tangle, the, it's, it's, do it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. In the and girls' is a bonnet. The okay. girls' boxes have bonnets as well. Look at that. And I just think about my journey. Like, my foster family would have loved this. In the documentary, we joked because there was the time where <laughs> my mum was doing her best, you know, <laughs> with scissors in my hair. But again, your community of, like, that transition of me going to the barber shop, mm. you know, and then and that experience. But that happening because of my white foster sister talking to her black friend. Yeah. And that's going back to earlier in this conversation about the the wider community and the family helping the adopted family or the foster family when you have a young child that, that might not be culturally aligned with yeah. you. I wanted to also ask, what do you think is missing in the adoption and fostering sector? Or, or, or why do you think this was something missing in the adoption or fostering sector? I think it goes back to a head on a bed and food in a belly. I think we've got a way of doing the minimum for years and I think it's changing slowly. It does need to change faster for our children, but I do think that we need the buy-in. We need the big people upstairs who, you know, they don't look like us, Jimmy, the big people upstairs. Very rarely do they look like us, yeah. you know, but we need them to see that, you know, our children especially foster children, are struggling for their identity and culture. You know, if you look at the stats and you look at, you know, how many children end up in prison, yeah. you look at how many children commit suicide. Yep. You know, you have to look at these things. You have to. I mean, when you think about it, that box is about £30. Mm. It's 2023, Jimmy. You know, why has it took this long for someone yeah. to come? It's such a simple idea as well, isn't it? It's like, let's put a box together. Let's put an education package around it. We'll, you know, give it a name and let's start looking at what more we can do for our looked after children. The box is about making our children feel beautiful, yep. seen mm -hmm. and understood. Yes. And saying, we see you, we know that you're, you, you know, that you're, you're struggling and we want to help you. Yeah. And also at the same time, letting our foster carers feel supported, yeah. that they can carry on doing the job. This is it. I think in the early days, definitely my foster family didn't feel like they were supported at times and they did their best. Your foster mum would have been doing amazing work. Yeah. She was, but then that fine line of like giving notes, but yeah. <laughs> not in a way, oh, you're making me feel like I'm not mm. doing good work yeah. and I'm not doing my yeah. job. I'm not being a good mother. And I think something like this box that, you know, I imagine the box to come with, with the child, you know what yeah. I mean? In terms yeah. of like, look, this is this is who they are. Mm. A celebration. It is. It's a celebration of your blackness. Yeah. It's a celebration of who you are. Our children, foster children in the system, they have so many battles that they need to battle. So and then you're black and then you've got one more, yeah. one more battle that you need to battle. And as you said, your foster mum, your foster family doing the best. But if you give them the tools to do better, they will do. They because will they're do. already signed up for this. Because yes. they're foster carers. They're already saying we need to make a difference in the world. So you give them the tools to do it. You give them the education. We're talking about doing me boards, which will be replenished culture me boards, which is a conversation about what makes you you. Yeah. And the foster mum or foster family say, well, let's have a look at this. I love that. Let's Mood look at the boards. food. Let's look at the smells and, and actually, you know, 
I suppose, buying into what that child is about. Really and buying in. going in yeah. that journey together. Because I love it when my little one's telling me about Aki and Saltfish yeah. and this and yeah, that. I don't particularly like it, but oh, I, I love, love the Aki conversation. And <laughs> I love the conversation yeah, and yeah. I love trying to make it with him. Things like that. That is about saying to him, I see you, you're beautiful, and I buy into what you are. Yeah, I love it. You mentioned earlier... Camden Council, right? So it was set up with them. But are other councils making these boxes available? Me and James have set up our own company, which is CIC Company, which is Community Interest Company. Okay. And with that, we are rolling out education with the boxes. Um, we want buy-in from other local authorities because what we'd love to do eventually, Jimmy, is to work it round that we can give looked-after children apprenticeships through the boxes. Mm, I love so that. So we're thinking about the whole yeah. system. Yeah. Working it from the inside up and actually making opportunities for our children going forward from the boxes. That's fantastic, Sarah. And like, how do you do that then? Because, you know, I, my borough is Newham, Newham Council. So how do, how do I make sure Newham Council has these boxes? In, we're on Instagram, we're on all the different things where people can link up with us and find out what we're doing. We're more than well willing to have the conversations with them. Replenish Culture okay. is on Instagram. Just please reach out to us because the more people that get hit to hear about the box, the more people that, I suppose, in a better word, buy into what we're doing. Yeah. I think when you're dealing with money, you have to give reason why you think it's going to work. You've got to have inspirational people like Martin Pratt, who was at the top at that time that went, yeah. I love this, I yeah. want it, I'm going to buy into this. You've got to have them people in place for, for that see, to happen. I see. Okay. But Camden are ah. revolutionary because Camden saw the need and they ran with it. And Camden's such a multicultural borough. It just shows that if you are willing to think outside the box, a bit of yeah. a pun there. Yeah, I like what you did there. I like what <laughs> Then you, you can there. make the changes that need to be done. Okay, so important. When I think about my journey growing up, they did it in a really different way. Like, I remember my mom, she was a home help. So she, I might go and meet her at work and she had introduced me to this doctor. You know, and his name might be Ade. Or, you know, go and look at, go and meet Bola. Bola's like one of the top nurses, but it'd be that they're Nigerian as well. Mm. So that was her way, I think, of her making me stay connected to my identity. She like music as well. She'd always like make me hip to, whether it's ska music, whether it's some fella, whether it's Luther Vandross, mm. and then even my brothers and sisters, my white mm. brothers and sisters, they they were all so different. Like one would might listen to something like Alexander O'Neill or some old school like Stevie Wonder stuff, and then the other one would be listening to Ice Cube. It was like, but all the different nuances of, mm. of, of the culture, mm. but they were naturally doing it yeah. as well. I think it was great to have that around me. And then the different kinds of foods I'd get those experiences from a lot of my friends mm. as well, but also we'd have it in the house. You mm. know, we it, it wasn't one of those things where we just eat like English food. We was always trying different foods and and being so open. And I think my mom and my whole family were very much about whenever there was an opportunity for me to tap into to have my culture poured into me they were they just got it and i know not every family can do that but i i'm just listening to you and i'm thinking about my experiences i was very lucky but i think if you have something like this box and we can get to the space where 
we are really talking about the importance of yeah. identity yeah. and the different ways that you can help that child with their identity. I just think this box and, and this conversation is mm. really important. I think we need to stop being scared about talking about identity and culture. We're not yeah. putting blame anywhere. We just yeah, need yeah. to make change. And also, I think, Jimmy, you were very lucky. You were placed with a family in East London. True. I've got emails from adopters and I've got emails from foster carers that are living in Aberdeen and Cornwall and Wales and they are struggling because yeah. they can't just go down any corner shop and say, well, I'm not sure what product I need, but there is products in this shop. Yeah. And that is where in London we are lucky because we have that, that community vibe and it doesn't really matter who you are. You're going to mix mm. and you're going you're mm. to blend. But when you talk about the cities that are out of London, yeah. you've got black children in them cities that do not see people that look like them and cannot get the products to do what they need to do. That's a different experience and journey. That really is. That really, I, I hear you. I always say there's a difference between growing up in London and then being in the suburbs and talking to other adults that have been fostered and adopted. And, and when we compare our experiences mm. to, in terms of where we grew up, it's drastically different. I mean, even me going up to Newcastle, where my family come from, I used to nod when I saw another black person. Yeah, like, yeah. Just like that nod, yep. just to say, see, Same here. <laughs> we're together. Same. <laughs> you know what, sir? You start so running, I'll run too. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, the nod. I, that yeah. happened to me. I did it in Scarborough one time, but and it was so funny. I did the nod and I didn't get it back. I was like, how are you not nodding me back? There's only two of us in Scarborough right now. Nod me, you know. But even those little things, if you don't grow up in London, you might not know about the nod. The work you're doing is is so important. And I think the biggest thing for me as we're talking is really changing the attitude, people's attitudes and around adoption mm. and fostering. And I know there's a big driver. Those of you listening, we do need more black parents adopting. But we also, I also like to go the other way with the narrative. There are a lot, there are a lot of black parents adopting, but we there's not we enough. Need we need more. We need more. I'm saying like my documentary, I'm like, there are a lot of stories about fostering adoption, but there's rarely any done in a way that's positive and uplifting. And there are black parents adopting and fostering but we're not really visually or hearing or seeing no, it it's an, you know, uns it's an unspoken thing that goes yeah, on in the yeah, background yeah, yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah, it's, it's just on the peripheral of community yeah. one of my children went to a lovely black couple and they've actually gone on to adopt his brother look at that look at that you know that. that is the sort of outcome that we want isn't it and it's good to hear that within families that happens mm. and also i think the other thing as well, black parents, whether you're, if a young kid is in the system and he's African, there is a big difference between a kid that might be Caribbean. Yeah. You know? Black is not just black. Black comes from all different genres, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. People seem to put us all in the same box and say, well, as long as we sort of like cover it, then it's sorted. But it isn't. No. African black and West Indian black, they're black, yeah. but they come from two different 
places and we need to embrace each one of their cultures. It can't just be, okay, we're going to do this because they're black. Yeah. It's not about that. Yeah, it's yeah. about finding the difference between it is. what makes them tick, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, uh, and that needs to be looked at in terms of placing kids with different families yeah. as well, you know, yeah. just because they're black. The alignment has to be there. I think for years, I think adoption from the black communities is misunderstood. I think there's too many myths out there that if yeah. you're if you're a single sex family, a single sex couple, if you're not married, if you're older, all of these things that people think that is, that's something that's going to hold them back from adopting. Mm -hmm. And what we need to say is no, come forward, ask. That's the first contact is just literally picking up the phone or emailing saying, I'd just like a little bit more information about this. Because that's, that's the first journey in dispelling the myths yeah. of why you can't and can adopt. Yeah. This is about you can adopt. Yeah. Isn't it? It is. I think coming back to like culture and identity, mm. you know, with these boxes. And like you said, can you talk a bit more about the biggest story around that box? Because I'm thinking about it's not just the hair, right? We're talking about like food. We're talking about religion, maybe. Yeah. We're talking about even like education yeah. in yeah. terms of where you're coming from, black history. Yeah. There's, there's so much. The box is just the, the literal thing that you can hold in your hand, isn't it? It's the starting piece of a conversation. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about going into schools. We're about educating the educators as well yeah, to say, look, come on that. now. For years... We've been told that having our hair cane road or, or locks or whatever is wrong. But this is about identity. This has been going back from when in Africa years ago, yeah. you know, the different sort of cane roads that you'd have in your hair would tell you what tribe you came from, yeah. you know, and this is, this is the thing. It's about educating the educators. It's about educating social workers, anyone that has any sort of input into children, getting them to think differently. Yes. 100%. So what's next, Sarah? I feel like this is just the beginning for you oh, and wow. what you're doing. How would you like Replenish Boxes to be in a year or two oh, years' time? I would love them to be available to every looked-after children in every part of this country. Speak would, it, speak <laughs> it, come on. Bring it into existence. I would love for everybody to know the name Replenish and know what it stands for, Replenish Culture, know that it is something that we are systematically and i keep saying systematically because it is about changing the system i would love for our education program that we're going to be doing as well that we're in schools we're in care homes we are in all the places everywhere that people deal with children yeah. you know and we start saying to them look okay you know what yeah you're doing this but you need to do more you need to do more we all yeah. need to do more as we're wrapping up I we do need more black and mixed heritage adopters to come forward. Oh, yeah. We, we really do. I After my documentary, Handle of Care, there was a couple of couples that came up to me and they're like, mm. Jimmy, we've been thinking about it for many years. After watching your documentary, we are going to start the process next year. Mm. It's bigger than all of us. And, and I tried to get all the nuances. And, but seeing some of those messages where people were like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to start the process. It was so moving. But on the other side of the coin, it was great to hear from people like yourselves yeah, that are fostering, that have fostered, have adopted. And, and some of the siblings as well would reach out to me and going, you know what? My mom used to do it. And actually, you're making me want to get back in touch with my brother. I've not spoken to him for years. Mm. And that thing of like, reconnection and and you forget it, it's so nuanced and there's so many different lenses there's the adoptive 
parents, there's the foster parents, there's the biological parents, siblings, and, and everybody has an important role to play. Circle of love. Circle of love. I love that. It's so important. It really is. It really is. You are amazing. <laughs> I would like to just say thank you so, so much for coming on here today and sharing all the amazing work that you're doing. And if there's anything more I can do to support, I will do that. And I appreciate you giving us this platform because you can adopt and yourself giving us the platform that we can sort of shout about what we're doing and get people to see the amazing work that we want to make systemic change. Systemic change. That's, she see, she's so good with her words. Systemic change. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is. And positive representation for me is so important within the adoption, fostering area. You know what I mean? With the positive. I'm not ignoring the other side of things, but I think more can be done to highlight the positive outcomes, positive role models, and to and I think that will also help inspire more families and people mm, that want to be definitely, adopted as well. Definitely. Because if the narrative is always negative, then you, as a parent that could adopt a foster, you're like, oh, well, you know, I hear about those kids can be this or... Or it goes this way, and I'm just like, let's change that. It is hard work. I'm not going to deny it. Mm -hmm. But I love it, Jimmy. I love it. Mm. I love the children that come into my house. Yeah. They're an energy that it's just, it moves us all, my family. We love it. We love these children. It's sad when we say bye-bye, but we know there's another one that needs us just as much around the corner. And it's about making our children, no matter who they are, what they are, black, white, mixed race, it doesn't matter that they yeah. feel loved. Yeah. And this is universal as well. This is across the whole world, mm. you know? Like, mm -hmm. I, I think this box definitely needs to go to America as well. And, you know, but you're right. It's about the love, you know? Ah, getting a bit emotional. Yeah, I hear it. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. Listen, <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much. You're brilliant. Thank you for being so open and for discussing this with me today. I think that just about finishes things up for us today. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story and reflections with us. We really, really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for the platform. Do I me. get a free replenish bot? Oh, I don't know. I have to think about that. It depends if you're <laughs> going to endorse it. I don't know. That's something we'll have to talk about. All right, all right, <laughs> my right. agent will speak, speak to, to your my agent. agent. All right, look at us, look at us. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was such a great bond. As soon as it comes to the business, we're like, all right, yeah, speak uh, well, to our people. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. You know. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of You Can Adopt. Listen out for more new episodes coming up. For more information and to take the first step towards growing your family, visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram 